yeah, I was, I was most definitely there. Oh, man, 21 years ago. Do you remember what you were doing 21 years ago? Some of you were like, I wasn't alive 21 years ago. So they made the playoffs. It's a good day. Yeah, um, got to be honest, it was cool. How many of you guys reached out to me? It was fun. That night, you guys texted me and you called me. People even emailed the church. It was, I, I, so, I'm no joke. Someone from Georgia emailed the church say, congrats, Pastor Dan. Uh, but you guys, you guys just make me feel so good, and, and you guys are awesome. I, I love being here at LifeSpring. And uh, as much as I'm excited about the manners, I'm even more excited about Jesus. I really am. I hope you are too. I hope uh, even today in 2022 that you are singing and clapping and dancing and shouting the goodness of God, that worship team and the way they just led us in worship today. Like, let's go. Uh, we're, we're going through the book of Acts. We've, we've been here for a while, but we're actually finishing here. Uh, we're going to finish right before Thanksgiving, so we're coming in to the end. We, we've covered Acts 20. We've ac- covered Acts 21. Today, we're going to be in 22. So if you have your Bibles, smartphones, tablets, those types of things, pull them out. We're going to be in 22. If you guys remember, Paul has been making this resolute journey to Jerusalem, right? He has his mindset, his eyes set, his face set on going to Jerusalem. He's been on a ship. They've made several stops. They've traveled through numerous cities. And even we talked about last week, he has friends, you know, putting belts around their wrists and their legs saying, don't go to Jerusalem. And yet he just knows the Holy Spirit is leading him to go. And so he gets to Jerusalem in Acts 21. Now, when he gets there, he is greeted by the believers. Right away he goes and he visits James. James is probably the head of the church at this time in Jerusalem. And he sees James, he sees the rest of the elders. And verse 19 tells us that, uh, and this is important in, in regards to my message today. Verse 19 says that Paul reports in detail all that God was doing amongst the Gentiles. Again, this is really important with today's message. So he goes to James, all the elders, he reports in detail all that God is doing amongst the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people that Paul has been ministering to. Now, while in Jerusalem, it becomes pretty obvious that there are people there that are really not too happy with Paul. They're worried. They're concerned. They're they're disturbed. They're probably even a little frustrated about what Paul is teaching, especially in regards to how following Jesus might influence how a Jewish person would live, how a Jewish person might follow the laws, the customs, the rituals of the Jewish faith. I don't have time. Could you give that to me? That'd be great. Thanks so much. So I don't have time to go into detail on all of this and what's, what's going on. We could take a, a bit of time uh, going into the background. But for the sake of today, just know this, that there are people in Jerusalem and they are not happy with Paul and his teachings. So let's pick it up. We're going to pick it up uh, in Acts 21, verse 27. You can follow along on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. When the seven days were nearly over, some of the Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. Now they stirred up the whole crowd and they seized Paul. They're shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, against our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy 
place. See, they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city with Paul, and they had assumed, probably wrongly so, but they had assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So the whole city's aroused. The people come running from all directions. They're seizing Paul. They drag him out of the temple. Immediately the gates are shut. While they're trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem is in an uproar. So now he at once takes some officers and some soldiers, runs down to the crowd. When the rioters see the commander and his soldiers, they stop beating Paul. Verse 33, the commander comes, arrests him, orders him to be bound with two chains. They ask who he is. It's like, what have you done? Some in the crowd shouted one thing. Some in the crowd shouted another. And since the commander could not get the truth because of the uproar, he orders that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reaches the steps, the violence of the mob is so great. Visually, can you just picture what's going on here? The violence of the mob is so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers and the crowd that followed, kept shouting, get rid of him. Do you feel it? Just a little bit? Like, this is a mess. This is chaotic. People running all over the way, all over, right, all directions. They're dragging him out of the temple. They're trying to kill him. The whole city in an uproar. The Roman troops, they come in. The commander comes in, but they can't get a straight answer from anybody. So the uproar, I mean, it's a fever pitch. Paul now, again, visually, I mean, he's carried by the soldiers. The crowd's shouting, get rid of him, get rid of him. Now, if you keep reading, right before he gets taken into the barracks, Paul, he asks the commander if he can address the crowd. And this is verse 40. It says, after receiving the commander's permission, Paul now stands on the steps. He motions to the crowd. When they're all silent, he addresses them in Aramaic. So now we're in Acts chapter 22. This is what Paul says, if we can follow along. He says, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Paul says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I, I fell to the ground. I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now my companions, they saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because of the brilliance of the light, it had blinded me. Now a man named Ananias, he came to see me. He's a devout observer of the law, highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then Ananias said, well, the God of our ancestors has chosen you, Paul, to, to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear words from his mouth. Paul, you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Hallelujah. And, and, and now what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized, Paul. Wash your sins away, calling on his name. 
When I returned, Paul says, to Jerusalem, and I was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance. I I saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, the Lord said, leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another synagogue to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then the Lord said to me, go, go, Paul, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Pretty amazing, right? What, a, what an account, what a, what a radical account. And you've heard this before, right? You've heard this powerful account. It's a radical, we talked about it even last week, this radical conversion, this radical transformation that takes place in Paul's life. I mean, he goes from being probably one of the greatest persecutors of the church, to now being this great and one of the greatest apostles in the name of Jesus. Now, as you read the book of Acts, Paul gives this account three different times, right? We've covered in depth Acts chapter 9 when he tells of his conversion experience here in chapter 22. And then a little bit later in a couple of weeks, we're going to see him before King Agrippa, Acts 26. Each time is a little different. If you, if you compare, and that's kind of a fun thing to do, compare the three accounts. Each time you're going to notice a little, uh, some different things, nuances. This time you'll notice he's really pressing into the Jewish part of his life, right? The Jewish uh, part of his life. And, and that makes sense that he'd do that because remember the scene, right? Remember his audience. These are Jewish people, again, who are not real happy with Paul. Pretty upset, upset with his teachings, even accusing him of speaking against the people of God, speaking against the Jewish law, even speaking against the Jewish temple. That's what he's accused of. And so understanding all this and and again, where he's at, look at what he does. I just want to give you a quick list. Look at his intentionality, even the intentionality of his words. First, he speaks in Aramaic. That would have been a dialect that they would have understood. He starts by saying, first words, I was born a Jew. He brings up his Jewish education. He, he says he studied, studied under Gamaliel. That would be a name very familiar to them. He says he's trained thoroughly in the law. Even when he brings up Ananias, do you notice how he describes Ananias this time? He says Ananias was a devout follower of the law. He says he was highly respected by all the Jews living there. So even when he quotes Ananias, again, this devout follower of the law, highly respected Jewish man, What does Ananias say? He says, the God of our ancestors. So that would be, again, a term, a Jewish phrase that they would all understand. He says, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one. Righteous one there. That is a phrase. That's a messianic term, right? The righteous one. You'll notice Paul, after the conversion, where does he go? He goes to the holy city of God. He goes to Jerusalem. Not only does he go to Jerusalem, he goes to the temple. Again, the Jewish temple. And he prays in the Jewish temple. And that is where the Lord speaks to him. How powerful is that? A Jewish man comes to the temple and the Lord Jesus speaks to him. And at the temple, Jesus says, go far away to the Gentiles. Again, he's highlighting the Jewish part of his conversion. But we've got to remember, who else was Jewish? Jesus. Like, I didn't know that until like I was like 21 years old. No one ever told me. But Jesus, he, he was a Jewish man who came for the Jewish people. We can't forget that. He came to earth. And when he did, Jesus didn't bypass or circumvent or kind of avoid God's chosen people of Israel. He came for God's chosen people. 
We've talked about that so much here at the church. It's like a broken record, right? If you're, we went through Luke. We've, we've gone through Acts. Jesus comes as the Jewish Messiah. Jesus comes born under the law to what? To fulfill the law. He's the fulfillment of hundreds of Jewish prophecies. The covenant God, uh, remember the covenant that God made with uh, the people at Mount Sinai? We call it the Mosaic Covenant. And it had been broken again and again by his disobedient, rebe- disobedient, rebellious people. And yet Jesus, what does he do? He comes straight into there and he pays the penalty for their disobedience on the cross. Even when he raises from the grave, he's the resurrected Christ. You ever think what Jesus Christ means? What is Christ? Christ is Messiah. Messiah. He's the resurrected Messiah. So again, he lived out, he fulfilled the covenant law so perfectly as the perfect son of God, but also the perfect son of man, that now a new covenant is established under his blood. A new covenant introduced through Jesus. Praise the Lord. But now, but now this resurrected Christ this resurrected Messiah. Again, we, we call him Jesus Christ. He's now revealed himself to a Jewish man. But not just any Jewish man. We, we know Paul. I can't say all the things he said. But this is a man who was pretty passionate in his faith. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He's someone who knew the law better than anybody else. His passion and his zeal was to follow God's laws and commands to a T. But then this Jewish man meets Jesus. on the road to Damascus, and everything changes. Has anyone in this room had a life-changing encounter with Jesus? Praise the Lord. And see, now Paul, I mean, who has been radically transformed by this new covenant of Jesus' blood? He now wants this angry mob, and yes, they are angry. (laughs) But he wants them to know what you've been waiting for the jewish messiah you've longed for the opportunity for rescue for deliverance for salvation the opportunity for god's kingdom to come and to come it's here and it's found in jesus of nazareth but it's not just for us It's going to even be for non-Jewish people who are far away from here. By the way, not to scare anybody, but as I was saying that, I felt like that was for somebody in this room. That you feel far away from the Lord. But Jesus came for you. So up to this point, they listen to Paul. The crowd is quiet. But in verse 21, right, the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Verse 22, the crowd, yeah, they tolerated. They listened until he said this. And when he said this, they raised their voices and they shouted, rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. The crowd loses it. I mean, they lose it. But why? Like, what's going on? Again, you got to remember the setting of the scene. Where are we? What, what city are we in here? Jerusalem. Everybody say Jerusalem. 
Right, you gotta remember that. I've been to Jerusalem twice now. Uh, even now, visually, Jerusalem, it's really intense and, and it's just, there's religious things all over the place. Again, it's a Jewish crowd. They're surrounded by a thousand different things. I mean, the, the, the Jewish, uh, rituals on what you could eat, uh, what you wore, I mean, all the rituals, all the routines, everything it would remind them of all their laws and the customs. Again, the temple is nearby their, their, their place where the presence of God is. I mean, these are things that grow greatly affect their day. This defines so much their interaction with God. It is all around them. So just think of it this way. They cannot stand the thought that God, their God, might now save Jews and Gentiles in the same way. Like they're outraged. They are at a fever pitch, ready to kill this man at the very thought that salvation is now freely given to believing Gentiles. They cannot stand it. I just want us to feel this today. They cannot stand it. It is such a fever pitch. They are ready to kill Paul a second time. Now, one thing you're going to hear in a lot of sermons, and it's very true, and I I remember my dad would tell me this often. One of the problems that we got here is that many of the Jewish people back then and, and their leaders, they didn't understand that reaching Gentiles had always been a part of God's plan. They weren't able to see that, even though we know Abraham. I mean, think of the story of Abraham. He is blessed to be a blessing that all peoples, that all nations would be blessed through him. I think about Isaiah. They would all know the scroll of Isaiah. Some of them might even have the scroll of Isaiah, which is huge, memorized. But in Isaiah 49, 6, I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I love that. My light reaching to the ends of the earth. Salvation to the ends of the earth. And now Paul, who has had this radical encounter with Jesus, where Jesus changes everything, he says, you know what? That salvation reaching to the ends of the earth, it is now happening through Jesus. See, Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. He's the one who perfectly walked out that divine calling of the first humans. He's the one who perfectly walked out the divine calling of the nation of Israel. He's the perfect prophet, priest, and king. He's a descendant of Abraham. He's in the line of David. He's the snake crusher. He's Messiah. And Paul wants the whole world to know that now through Jesus and the new covenant of his blood, all nations will be blessed. It's going to go to the ends of the earth. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It reminds me of what Jesus says to his disciples in the Great Commission. What does he say? He says, you're going to go and you're going to make disciples of all nations. In Acts, he says, you're going to be my witnesses. Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, you're going to be my witnesses. What? To the ends of the earth. I mean, that's the power of Jesus. He revealed that it was God's plan to save everybody. John 3.16, right? Whosoever believes, whosoever believes will be saved. Whosoever. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 2. We've been going through Ephesians this week in our daily reading plan. And Ephesians 2, I mean, if we had to rank best chapters in the scriptures, I mean, that's towards the top. But he, he talks about Jews and Gentiles, that they've been separated 
There's even a very clear separation on the temple grounds. There's even a sign posted saying if you're a Gentile, you can't proceed from the court of the Gentiles to the inner courtyards. I've got a fragment here. We got to see that at the Israel Museum. It says, man, if you go past that barricade, like it's to your own doom, to your own demise. But look at what Paul says. This is so good. He says, Jesus is our peace. Who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, he's made them one. He's destroyed the barrier. Come on. That crumbled to the ground. He divided the, he destroyed the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And then he goes on to say this about Gentiles. By the way, most of us in this room probably are Gentiles. I I know a few people that grew up in the Jewish faith, but most of us were not Jewish. So this is for us. Listen to this. This is good news. Ephesians 2.19. You are no longer foreigners. You are no longer strangers. But you now in Jesus, your fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Can I get an amen? That's so good. Like, this is true for you today. That's why we sing, right? Because that's what Jesus did. He did that for anybody who puts their faith in him. Praise the Lord. But again, in today's passage, it's this kind of talk. Even the way I'm talking today. But it's this kind of walk and talk in the city of Jerusalem that causes these people to want to kill Paul. They just can't see it. They don't want to hear it. I mean, that's a powerful statement. Rid the earth of this man. Now, I could apply this, I think, in several different ways this morning to our own lives. But as I was praying this week, I think one of the things the Lord really laid on my heart, actually multiple times this week, it's amazing, and I'll say this with grace, but it's amazing how religion... You know, all the stuff, even maybe a religious spirit, can keep us, keep humans from being able to see what God is doing. Especially when it's something new. I mean, it's easy to just blame those people 2,000 years ago. But come on, we all do it, right? We get stuck in our ways. We get stuck in old patterns of living and thinking. And so we miss out, and we miss out not just in what God wants to do in us, but church, we miss out on what God wants to do through us. Again, in today's story, God wanted to use his people to bring his light into his world. He wanted them to be a light to the Gentiles, and yet they just couldn't see it. But what about us? Right? What about me? What about you? Where has the stuff of religion maybe blinded you? To the new thing that God. Hello. That was hilarious.
whoever just called was obviously not a Christian. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> that was hilarious. But what about us, right? Where has religion blinded us? I was thinking about that all week. Where has it blinded us from being able to do what God wants to do, not just in us, but through us? Now, religion in and of itself isn't bad. It's not bad to be religious. I'm actually very religious. I'm a religious person. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not embarrassed by that. I can even be kind of awkward, awkward with it. It's so funny. I'll be hanging out just like anywhere, like at the golf course at a restaurant, and someone will say something that I really like. I'm like, amen. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm not at church. My bad. Like, I'm not. That's a part of my life. It's a normal part of my life. But I've noticed sometimes, and we all do this, we just get fixated on those rituals, those routines, the rules, the customs where you can almost kind of squeeze Jesus out of the equation. Like you're doing so much stuff that there isn't any room left for Jesus. 2,000 years ago, they couldn't see the new thing that the Lord was doing because of the stuff. I mean, they're blinded. But in 2022, what about you, right? Do you have eyes to see? Is there room in your heart for Jesus to move? Is there room in your heart for the new thing even? Because God is doing a new thing, by the way, church. But is there room in your heart for him to do what he wants to do in you and through you? We must make room for the Lord. We must make room for the Lord. In your heart, make room for Jesus. I can't do this for you. The person next to you can't do this for you. But will you intentionally choose to make room for the love and the salvation? Not just for you, but for those around you. Because, again, in this story, I mean, they rejected Paul fast. I mean, quickly they rejected Paul. But that kind of rejection and the speed of that rejection, it's still happening today. I mean, come on. You don't have to raise your hands on this. But we are so quick to reject others who maybe aren't exactly like us. We're so quick to reject others who maybe don't believe exactly the same things. And yet, church, can we please stand and fight against that temptation and be open to what the Lord is doing. I mean, I felt this Wednesday. I felt this so strongly. I was over at beautiful Savior Lutheran Church. You guys probably pass it all the time. It's in Milton. And this is a Lutheran church. And so that means they do things a little different than us. And my friend, Pastor Sam over there, he gets to wear a cool uniform. He gets to wear that collar. Like, how awesome is that? But I'm telling you, if we were there right now, their liturgy, their rituals, they're going to look and sound a little different. But here's what happened. This was so moving. They have this picture wall. And on the picture wall, they have pictures of all their members. And so it's all the people on the wall and the names of those people. And Jesse was with me. And I probably spent, I don't know, five minutes looking at all those faces. Looking, I looked at every person who attended that church, a church that's just down the road. But listen to this, church. I didn't know even a single one of those people. And this is my town. Like, I've been here for 13 years, and it's not the biggest town in the world. 
But this was encouraging to my heart. It made a big impression on my heart because I realized, like it was just an epiphany, I realized that they're reaching people that we're not going to reach. I want to say that again. They're reaching people that life spring we're not going to reach. And so under my breath, I just said, Pastor, or Lord, bless Pastor Sam. Lord, bless beautiful Savior Lutheran Church. Lord, we pray that even now, bless, bless beautiful Savior Lutheran Church. Bless them, Lord. Bless them. See, I got to visually see that they were reaching people for Jesus that we will never reach. See, again, Jesus wants to reach the ends of the earth with his light and his salvation. So we don't need to be so quick to reject each other. We don't need to be building up walls. To divide each other. But we need to be praying for them. Oh, Jesus. Lord, bless our friends. That beautiful Savior. Over the last 12 days, I love my job. Over the last 12 days, I've met with the pastor from the Adventist church. I've met with the pastor from the Lutheran church. I've met with the pastor. This is over coffee or lunch. I've met with the pastor from the Presbyterian church. I met with the pastor from the other Foursquare church. I met the pastor and had coffee with the pastor at the Assembly of God church. And I met... Uh, and had a meeting in my office with the pastor of this church, Pastor Joe of Integrity Life. In fact, Pastor Jesse and I were at like a four-hour service last night with Integrity Life celebrating their birthday, their 14th birthday as a church. And here's the deal. They all do things differently than we do. And I'm making some of you nervous right now, so I'm just going to say this. I get it. There are important doctrinal differences between these churches. All those churches I mentioned. And I'm thankful to be a four-square pastor. Like, I'm more four-square than most four-square pastors are four-square. Like, I got the tattoo. Like, I just need you to hear that. And I'm thankful for our doctrine. But my heart. And life spring. Our heart. Oh, Jesus, touch our heart today. It needs to be touched by the Holy Spirit again. That when we think of those churches... That we wouldn't be so quick to think about what separates us. But instead we remember that through the cross, as Paul said in Ephesians 2, through the cross we are one body. And so, Lord, bless these churches. Lord, we just pray right now. Lord, bless these churches. Bless these pastors. May they hear your voice. May they obey your leading. Lord, would you give them strength? Would you give them encouragement? Would you give them your power? Would you give them intentional words to preach Christ and Christ crucified? And that doors would open for them to love on people with the love of Christ, with people that we may never meet. But may everyone in our town, our community, our state, and the world hear the good news of salvation that is only found in the mighty name of Jesus Christ through your church and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Worship team, you can come on up. See, when those people in Jerusalem found out what Paul was doing, going far away, preaching to the Gentiles, their response was, this guy's got to go. We got to kill him. 
There wasn't room in their hearts for the new thing that God was doing. There wasn't room for the new covenant under Jesus' blood. But what about us? What about us? And not just here, not just in church or even the churches that are gathering today, but in your own life, in 2022, in your life, is there room in your heart? Examine and allow the Lord to examine your heart today. Are you open to how the Lord wants to move in you and through you today? Because we must make room for the Lord. He is moving. And He will move with us or without us. He could move with us playing our part or He could move in spite of us. But I want to be a part of the move of God. I want to be a part of what God is doing. And so it might make us feel a little uncomfortable. It might look a little different than it has in the past. It might shake up the ground of all our traditions. It might break down even the walls of all our religion. But I believe this. Jesus, your ways are better. So let's make room for the Lord. As we sing this song, we're going to receive communion. And uh, ushers, come on up forward and... And this is, we're going to do it a little different today. We're going to ask you to receive communion on your own. So as we sing, I'll just ask you to come forward. You can grab one of these. The kind of, the way we do it here is we make it convenient for you. The crackers on the cup underneath and the juices on top. So you just grab one of these. It's got both. And then take it back to your seat. And on your own, go ahead and take communion. Receive communion and and we're going to sing a song that is all about making room for the lord but at this time would you stand i I want to pray and and i'm just going to pray on behalf of all of us to the lord in a room like this some of us right now we need to repent of hardened hearts we need to repent of bitterness we need to repent of our rebellion but the great thing about god is He's not here to shame you or condemn you. It actually says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so his good, good presence is here because he's a good, good father. And he loves you. And so just in the safety of this room, in the presence of God, let's begin to open up our hearts to the Lord. To make room for what he wants to do. So God, we do. We just invite your spirit again to shake it up. To shake it up. Lord, there's so many things that we're stubbornly holding on to that we don't need to hold on to today, that we can let go, that we can have the faith and the boldness and the courage to trust in you again. Lord, in so many ways to reach the lost, to reach the broken, to reach those who are right now not uh, saved Lord, we need to have your heart. We need to have your passion. We need to have your words. We need your inspiration of your spirit. We need your strategy. We need you, Jesus. And Lord, how often we try to conform you to our image. But even as we sing this song, as we take communion, as we remember what you did on the cross, in many ways, Lord, we're saying we want to be conformed to your image. Transform us again, Lord, to be more like you, to think like you, to speak like you, to go across the street, as Rich Taylor said earlier. Show us what that looks like today, Lord.
to make room for you, God. In this church, in our families, in the workplace, in every aspect of our life, to make room for you, Jesus. Lord, I prophetically pray over this group that no one would leave here the same as they came in today. That we have all been touched and changed by your power, the power of your Holy Spirit, to be able to do what you've called us to do. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.